0: Trek Companion. This is episode 237. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam
1: Caesar.
2: I'm Stephen Embry.
0: And today we're discussing Voyager's sixth season episodes Muse, Fury, and Lifeline. Here we go.
2: Muse, Season 6, Episode 22, Production Code 244. Original Air Date, April 26, 2000. Directed by Mike Beeger, written by Joe Minoski, music composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Joseph Will as Kellis, Kelly Waymeyer as Lena, Stoney Westmoreland as Patron, Kathleen Garrett as Tanis, Michael Houston King as j Jack Axelrod as Chorus 1, John Shuck as Chorus 2, and Tony Amendola as Chorus 3. <laughs> Bored the Delta Flyer, in search of Delithium, B'Elanna
1: Taurus crashes on a pre-warp planet. She's found unconscious by a local, Kaelas, the poet who believes her an Eternal, a superior being sent from Heaven. He writes the away mission of B'Elanna Taurus, a Voyager play based off her logs, which he performs with his meager acting troupe. When B'Elanna awakens bound and injured, Kaelas informs her she is his muse, but he needs more stories to put on for his patrons. So they'll let, or he'll let him starve. Balana makes him an offer: he will retrieve Dilithium in return for more stories about Shining Voyager, far from home. And so ends the rescue of Belanatoras, half Klingon, Belanatoras, half human, Belanatoras, chief engineer. These stories will continue for as long as we have the breath to tell them. And as long as our patrons remain wise and compassionate and Voyager will continue on her journey to the gleaming cities of earth where peace reigns and hatred has no home.
0: Muse. I remember the first time I saw this episode, Really being taken by it, like really being blown away, like thinking it was one of the best episodes they'd ever done. I still think it's good, but I was watching it this time thinking, I remember being so blown away, and I'm not sure why, because it doesn't seem that great to me. And then it came to the end, and I, and I do think that the ending, the last 10 minutes or whatever, are pretty spectacular, uh, writing and performance-wise. But I guess this might be an example of an episode that has decreased a bit in... Value for me, it's still very good, but I do remember really being just floored by it years ago. Steve, what do do you remember? Was I like was I like a lone man on in that? I don't I don't remember anybody else talking about it that way. Or
2: yeah, I mean i i don't I don't really remember how strongly I felt about it at this time. I i I i certainly remember the episode, but um. It, it, it's kind of a, a weird one because I probably I'm just thinking back. I probably would have liked this okay, um, and now I kind of like it okay. It's not like it's changed much. I mean, it, it's it's kind of anomalous because I think it's I think it's unique in a way. I think it's I mean not unique in the sense that we've never seen um, our main characters. You know, either. Uh, intentionally or not unintentionally impose themselves on a culture or something like that. But there's kind of a a unique way it goes about here, you know, and then the, the plight of the poet and that it's, uh, you know, that it's, you know, trying to gain peace Now that, that's pretty heavy stuff, but it, it almost feels so um, outside of, of what we're used to that it's, I don't know. I, I guess what I'm saying is I didn't feel much throughout a lot of it, you know, like toward the end. I mean, I thought that, okay, this there's a lot of gravity here, you know, the, the, what they, what they're they're accomplishing, what they're doing. And, um, Taurus is on board and it's almost for, for Taurus, it's almost kind of a whim, you know, I want to help out what's going on. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm into this or whatever, but you know, for this culture, it's huge. It's, it's like a make or break changing at least this, this small part of this culture. And that's interesting. Um, but I don't, I don't know. For some reason, I didn't have a lot of, um, I didn't have a lot of, um, I, I mean, there, was, there wasn't was a lot in me that felt for this episode. You know, I didn't feel like emotionally into it much. I mean, I, I kind of liked it fine objectively, but it didn't like really, you know, compel me that much in some way. I'm not sure why. Adam, your first thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think I pretty much feel the same way as Steve. I. I actually like this episode, but I kind of think it's also flimsy. Um, And the reason I like this episode is because I, I respect or I like what they're trying to do and say in this episode. I mean, it's a story about telling stories, how, how a story is put together. um, The mythology of a story, you know, the hook of a story, how an end, the ending of a story and how um, uh, an impactful story can change hearts and minds. So I think that's what they were trying to do in this episode. It just, it doesn't really come across very well. And I think that's for the reason Steve was saying, you know, you in the 45 minutes or so that you have in this, it's hard to get emotionally attached to um, to the, you know, the, you know, the guest stars that are on here. And um, like I said, it's a little bit flimsy because Blana doesn't really seem to be very interested until the end um, um, with what's going on, or at least when she started visiting the village. Um, So, like I said, I mean, I, I, you know, all Star Treks are littered with, um, you know, stories about mythology, um, how they impact cultures and how they affect um, current um, humanity. And um, this story, kind of, I like. I like the premise that they're trying to go all the way back. You know, you kind of think about the, you know, Greek civilization. Um, you know, plays like this. You know, you have the chorus up there, and um, you can kind of see that. And that's where, you know, in Western culture, that's where a lot of um, our mythology and our, our zen for storytelling um started so i I appreciate what they were trying to do i just don't i don't think they pulled it off um like i said i still like this episode but like i said it's a little bit flimsy and it's a little bit far-fetched and maybe not focused completely but i mean you know we can debate that and talk about it more um but yeah those were my impressions on it
0: i think it feels pretty focused i just i think that maybe it starts to feel a little bit (laughs) not about our characters I mean it is in a way because the play is about our characters, but they're you know, variations and things on them. But that one element of it, the, the idea that you know, to, of of the impact that stories can make, um, the power that these stories can have. And when the story is about relationships between people and like humanizing your enemy and stuff. And, and you, and you can really see uh, his benefactor. I, I like that. There isn't an actual shot of him saying this play was so great. I'm going to reconsider the whole war thing. He didn't need that. Just, just seeing him stand up there and you see some kind of a,
1: a look on his face or
0: something. An, yeah. A look on his face and, and it ends that way. It doesn't have, it doesn't end with, with that perfect little button. And I like that. But, but that's what that's that's kind of what's happening there, and it's a very kind of earned moment. I think it gets there pretty directly uh, so I do think it's focused. I just think that um, you know I'm never gonna find guest stars as interesting as our main folks, and I want to see if there's something really that elevates in the episode, it's when there is a transformation or a change or, you know, an epiphany, a learned moment by one of our main characters. So we get a little bit of that. We get Torres. She says something to Kim about, have you ever been a, a muse?" basically? So have you ever been somebody's inspiration or something like that? So this has become kind of, you know, she's found her. this has become important to her. I'm just not sure, you know, how that really advances her character per se. But, you know, as a character that has a hard time having a relationship with anybody, and I'm not talking romantic, I just mean having any kind of relationship with other <laughs> sentient beings does not come easy for Torres, that she's gotten to this point where she appreciates and respects and, um, I don't know, maybe even enjoys the relationship she has with this poet for a brief time. I guess that's that's interesting and and worthwhile and how does a character like torres appreciate a relationship like that or or find value in it so it's got enough it's got and all but the, the most so much of that stuff is wrapped up for me in those last 10 minutes you get her decision to to help him in the whatever last 10 minutes you get that great the one really great play bit where the actress is doing a Janeway and the other person is doing Seven as the Queen or whatever. That whole bit is really great. You get his... K, K, what's his name? Calus?
1: I kept wanting to say
0: Calus because that's Calus, but I keep wanting it's to say not K-less. K-less. <laughs> You get Calus' excellent speech. That little, like, you know, speech, right, that he that he uses to end the play that seems... I mean, it's really well written. His words are excellent. He plays it well. You get that right there. You get the benefactor's change of heart and all all that stuff is in the last like 10 minutes so i'm sure that's why i was so taken by it before but this time it was getting up to that point when it seemed um
1: well it's uh, um one of the a couple things i was thinking about first off um tuvok was the funniest person in the episode
0: uh we've established tuvok is the funniest character right. on the show maybe in all of star trek we that's i think you can make that argument
1: for sure um two i'm like i wanted to throw this out there but i'm kind of glad they didn't bring it up um there was no prime directive debate in this episode i don't think it was needed but i thought about it when i was watching it because i'm like oh there's a prime directive stuff that you could mention here so i just wanted to throw that out there and um lastly i don't know i mean this episode probably might have could have been helped if there was a love interest between the two of them but obviously they can't do that because taurus is in a relationship with paris i mean i think i don't think it Diminish the episode at all but i was wondering if that might have had a little bit more and made a little bit more emotional impact
0: i think i liked it better without because then it then it would have been about that it would have been about the, their separation and choice to leave and all that stuff and it couldn't have been about what it becomes about which is the muse and the power of a story and all that i don't think i think that stuff would have all been like a would have been a, a be- been on the back burner and not as effective.
2: I, th- I think what's, I think what's tricky about this uh, is to, in my opinion, is that we, I think it's like a good science fiction story. It's just in the context of Star Trek and this series, it it's not great because there are some inconsistencies. It doesn't focus on our characters. As Adam pointed out, you have the prime directive issue. That's, that's like never addressed, but it kind of should be, you know, I mean, and that's such a, that's such a big, uh, point. It's such a big element of star Trek that if you, if you go through an episode and you have a question of, should we really be doing this and it's not, and no one's even addressing it, then it kind of feels like it's off the rails sort of, you know? So I think it's like, I think it's a, I think it's a real good story and they, and they execute it well for what it is. I think it's just the context of it being in star Trek. It's one of those rare cases where, um, maybe the maybe the good science fiction story doesn't fit particularly well in a star trek series in a weird way i mean i don't know maybe that's not why it's a great episode i'm not saying it's not bad or something you know it's bad or something but I, i think that's why i can't feel that it's a great episode well we've kind of talked about this a bit already but what do you guys think it's about
1: basically i'll keep it short i mean it's the power of story and how stories are put together i mean it's kind of an underlying tone you know mythology um these characters, you know, the Voyager crew. I mean, they'll be played on stage, and they're, you know, they could become mythical characters in this society. So, I think that's kind of what they were they they were trying to do and say. You know, um, you know, it's also about inspiration comes from from many places. You know, obviously, you have muses and other factors that can inspire you to tell um, stories that impact people in a positive way.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's, um, you know, it's not so much the like literal truth, you know, even though the stories they tell are fictions based on the truth. It's it's the message and how they're told. And, and, and yeah, like you pointed out, it's, it's, it how, it's how that can affect it. It's, it's profound. It can have, it can have a really uh, big effect on, on a culture. So, yeah.
0: All right, let's do six degrees for muse. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Joseph Will plays Kellis, the poet that needed a muse. He also played or will play crewman Michael Rustoff in three episodes of another Trek series. One of those was called Two Days and Two Nights. Which series was that? Was it um, Enterprise? Yes, sir. It was Enterprise. Adam, John Shuck plays chorus member number two. In which Trek feature does he play a Klingon that says... Starfleet regulations? That's outrageous! Um, four? Yes, sir. Mm. I almost asked about Tony Amendola, um, who was another chorus singer. Not that he played any other Star Trek characters, but he was a regular on Stargate for many, many years. <laughs> so He's also in the new Star Wars game, Jedi Fallen Order. used to pretty good. But not Star Trek, so didn't ask about him.
2: All right, our score is one-one, moving on. Yeah. Puri, Season 6, Episode 23, Production Code 241. Original Air Date May 3rd, 2000. Directed by John Bruno, Story by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, Teleplay by Brian Fuller and Michael Taylor, Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Jennifer Lean as Kess, Nancy Hauer as Samantha Wildman, Scarlett Palmers as Naomi Wildman, Vaughn Armstrong as Vidian, Tarek Ergen as Ayala, Josh Clark as Joe Carey, Cody Weatherall as Rebby, and Kurt Wetherill as Azan.
1: Voyager receives a distress call from a small ship. When they make a life scan of the vessel, they are surprised that the occupant is Ocampan. They make contact with it, and the bridge crew is shocked to see Kess on the view screen, almost three years after she left the ship and was not heard from again. Now here she is, looking elderly, tired, and desperate. She begs permission to come aboard, which Captain Janeway eagerly grants. Instead of docking her ship, Kess accelerates, ramming Voyager hard enough to breach the hull.
2: Remember me? The innocent child you're here to save? You blame Captain Janeway, but the choice was yours. You made the decision to leave Ocampa, and you made the decision to leave Voyager. If you're watching me now, you've come back to take revenge on the people who cared about you. That's not who you are, and that's not who I am. Don't do this. Find another way home.
0: Adam, kick us off on Fury.
1: Fury: The Return of Kess. Um, uh, this this episode's memorable to me because obviously you get the return of Kess, and you kind of get some closure on her character. Um, it's it's a fairly um clever way to bring her back. Um, and um, give her um character kind of that resolution that we probably didn't get um three years ago or three seasons ago, I guess for us. Um, so you know, obviously you know in the synopsis you know she comes aboard she rams the ship and um she's trying to use her powers to go back in time to send her younger self back home because obviously she's been through some horrors in the last 3 years that has um kind of made her crazy um the history- the most interesting parts of the episode for me were it was was Tuvok really you know um him kind of going back and forth through time because he you know um, as was set up in the earlier seasons of Voyager that um, Kess and Tuvok um, have this um, telepathic connection. So that part of the story makes sense. It makes sense to have Tuvok kind of um, uncover um, what's going on in the past. You know, like I said, it's kind of, it's, nosal- and, you know, it's kind of nostalgic. Um, to go back, you know, several years ago, um, when Voyager was just getting underway, we get to see, you know, the crew on their, you know, original haircuts and that kind of thing. You get to see the Jane White bun, and yeah, it's, you know, you have this nostalgia of that. And um, so, I mean, the, the episode's fine. Um, I might, i when I was rewatching it. I'm kind of, I think I was a little bit more interested in what happened to her during that three years. I kind of wish maybe we'd have gotten a little bit more of that. But overall, I mean, yeah, it, it was, it was cool seeing Cuss back, going through the nostalgia and, you know, kind of getting some closure on her character.
2: Steve. Yeah. I kind of, I, 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 don't think very highly of this episode. And I think, I think more strongly that way than I did when it first aired. Now, I guess why is because, um, in, in a way, so, you know, this is, this is a, the story by Berman and Braga, you know, even though the, 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 uh, teleplay is by uh, Brian Fuller, and Michael Taylor, but it definitely feels that way in a way, but it's also kind of feels like this is when I get sick of Berman and Braga or something in a, in a way, you know, it's kind of like it has their stamp, but it's kind of like, just let's use this template on something that really shouldn't have that template or something. It, it's what, what the shame of it is, is that I think Jennifer lean, I really like her as an, I always liked her as an actress. I thought she did this character really well. She, she plays the character. Well, I like Um, it's always convincing, you know, I always, always buy it, whatever she's doing. Right. But um, it's kind of, it's just kind of a disservice. I mean, like Adam said, you don't know what happened to her, all this. And and it's really, it's kind of baffling what brought her to this point in a way, you know, they even try to explain it right to you, which is kind of annoying too. Um, But it, it just doesn't seem to, I just, I just don't buy that. And then you end up having this whole kind of like, history. And I, and I think it's interesting and fun to see, see the stuff from way back when, but the whole uh, Tuvok getting the uh, impressions of, of the future stuff is a little, is, it's kind of wackadoodle. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's, it's so out there that I don't even understand how it's, how it plays a role. It's kind of, it's just an excuse to show that something's going on and he's suspicious of what's happening. And then even by the, the end of this, um, they, you know, they use that recording to convince her and that just feels kind of shallow in a way. And also I never understand why, how would they, how is this something that Tuvok and Janeway should share and never um, reveal to Chakotay or anything else in case something were to happen to Janeway in that interim and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's very convenient. There's just so many, th- there's just so many things here that just seem strange that probably if this was, a, if this was a compelling episode emotionally, I wouldn't even focus on, but all those problems just just make me kind of uh, feel bad that this happened. You know, I mean? know what you mean about saying it has like the berman and braga stamp stamp
0: because you know I like this episode well enough until the last I don't know quarter or third of it or something. When once we get to the point where Kess is actually, I think like you know when she has the conversation with Janeway, she's actually explaining what her motivations were and what the whole episode was actually what was actually going on. You're like oh, that sucks. That's incredibly unsatisfying. Like she suddenly decided, she like decided because she'd been through something that Voyager was to blame and now she's going to kill everybody. What? Kind of extreme. I mean, that's just, I mean, that was, yeah, it was nuts. It was incredibly unsatisfying revelation about whatever the heck was going on the rest of the episode, you know? And then, yeah, the denouement with the hologram, it's just, it's not going to be satisfying. And then, you know, having her leave the ship you know, to head back to Akampa at that point, you're you're you've just you've lost me, and there's no emotional resonance of any kind. And that's yeah, it's the Berman Braga thing where you you know watching this episode actually reminded me of reminded me of how close we're getting to the thing that made me. I'm going to say it. I've softened on them over the years since, but at the time, the Voyager finale hmm. made me hate Berman and Braga. Hmm. It made me hate. Berman. It really made me hate him, and I'm gonna probably, where well, I'm gonna feel that more and more as we get closer to it. But this episode reminded me of why we can't have. Look, we're gonna bring Cass back. We have to have this crazy thing where she's in, the, and she's all old looking, and she's going through the corridors, and the whole ship is breaking apart and flying apart. And, oh my god, that has to happen now. Why can't we just have a nice character piece where we get to send her off properly and right? Because. You know, the first couple episodes of season four, it was very clear we were getting rid of her for seven. You know, she didn't even really get a good send. Why can't we just have a nice character beat? Why can't we have a nice character episode? Why does it have to be like this—the time travel and the crazy? I'm here to kill you all. And what the f? You know. And when we get to the Voyager finale, um, I'm gonna, I- I'm gonna be absolutely livid and angry. Because it's all about a big spectacle action set piece crap stuff so that we can suddenly get back to Earth in the last 10 seconds of the damn episode and get no closure whatsoever for any of our characters that we've been friends with and loved for seven years straight. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be very angry in about a season and a couple of episodes. But here we get a little taste of it because... (laughs) Why can't we do that? Why are they so afraid to have like a, like a next gen family, an episode like that? Why are they so terrified of this? Why does it take people like Michael Pillar and uh, uh, Ron Moore to be able to do things like that? Why why do Berman and Braga things have to have to be walking through the corridors with crap exploding and going through time? Whenever this was our main character for three years and she deserved a good, dramatic send-off and we couldn't give it to her because it was more important to have explosions. It's a television show that we love these characters and we spend 26 episodes with over the course of a season. And that's all I want to do is say goodbye to this woman.
1: So, audience, we'll make sure um, Brian hits one of his legal dispensaries before we do that last episode.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think we need to have a... uh, a kind of top 10 tirades, you know, someday, you know, podcast. <laughs> that, that's the ranks up there. I was good. I enjoyed it. I, yeah, was, yeah. I was, I enjoyed it. I went on mute and was laughing and myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure
2: as I get older, I'm having less and less of those, right?
1: <laughs> <Going strong. laughs>
2: but it's, but it, you know, but it's true. I mean, you know, that's the thing. It's not like this, it's because we're passionate about it. It's not like this is like, crap or something and we're like what is the deal here and we you know it's just that whenever we there to me it's like the potential for something and you know a character like that that it's, it's it's so different and interesting and you know and then it's kind of comes back and it's like oh, okay we're going to do this and it doesn't you know and we did have those you know there's parts there are these like brief moments with Neelix and her you know what a what a, a potentially rich thing to touch on and it's kind of like as soon as we almost touch on her, it's like oh she makes a weird expression let's move away you know okay from that so Anyway. Yeah, how would how would Neelix showing compassion to her not have opened her up,
0: you know? Yeah, yeah. How, how could she have that scene with him, even dismissing him, and think, oh yeah, I'm going to give the Vidians the info they need to kill him. Really? I saw this woman for three years. No, no way. No way. I don't care what she went through. No way. That's absurd. And... If I can imagine a universe in which somehow she can get so far gone that she's like, I'm going to kill them all. She's going to go that far in that direction, and then through, like, two sentences from a hologram, that's going to completely change her mind? I mean, come on. It's just... And the the,
1: the way time travel works, they're going to go through that loop again because, you know, they corrected it once, and then the next time it won't be corrected, so it's...
0: <laughs>
1: no, I totally they they definitely needed to give a lot more context if they were gonna go down this rabbit hole. And um we didn't get it. So it's kinda what fails it.
0: If there had somehow been a more satisfying reason that she was doing all this or something, I think I would have been a little more okay with it. But it was just so completely out of character and Yeah, you could yeah, they you could
2: have like done something like like just get out the, get get rid of the time travel crap just have her say, say there's something going on with, you know, they could have talked about a couple of experiences, not alluded, you know, alluded to it very briefly. Um, maybe she's just had some, you know, these, these powers have brought on some psychological issues and then have, have Neelix in their former relationship or whatever, be the crux that brings her back to reality or something. And, you know, so, you know, there, there's a way you could salvage even this general concept into something that would have been okay. You know, it's just, didn't have to be like that also it was a little bit of
0: um when she left i mean she seemed like she had well kind of like uh wesley crusher going with the traveler you know he's really moved to this other plane or something you know just way way out there then you see wesley just sitting there at the wedding and uh, nemesis <laughs> wait what <laughs> i mean shouldn't she was so incredibly ludicrously powerful I mean, she. It was. It was like she. Kes should have been able to just like think it, and the whole ship, the molecules all move apart, and everybody right, boils right. alive in space or something. Like she was getting to be that powerful, right?
1: Didn't she like think them like a hundred light years or something that, that when she left?
0: Yeah, I mean,
2: blast. And them now
0: with- she's now she's got to like sneak around to contact the Videans and try to shoot people. I, I mean, I don't know. It's no, no. Again, it's not in keeping with the character that we saw before. I don't know. Is this episode about anything?
1: Best case I could come up with is closure. Closure on a character. I don't know. Um, finding your way home. I mean, there's the other, those are kind of broad meanings. I, I, mean, I don't know if they really hold true. Did you get anything else, Steve?
2: Well, I mean, I, th- I think they're, they're trying to say that I don't know they could have done it better but the notion that distance both in time and in geography can kind of uh, make one lose perspective I mean that you know you get away from that and all of a sudden you want to go back and just erase your history or destroy it or something and you know you get a little uh, you know there I think it's just it just got so off the rails it's hard to say that they successfully did anything but they were trying to They were trying to bring closure to this character, perhaps, which needed to happen, but I don't think they did it successfully. All right,
0: let's do six degrees for Fury. Our score is one to one. Adam, are you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Josh Clark returns as Lieutenant Carey, and Nancy Howard returns as Samantha Wildman. One of those two will return again later in Voyager. But for one of them, this is their last episode. Which actor or actress will not return?
1: I know this is a trick question, so I'm probably going to fall for it. Um, I'm going to say um, Wildman will return for one more episode.
0: You said uh, Nancy Howard will return as Samantha Wildman in another episode. Correct. Incorrect.
1: Yeah, I figured it was a trick. Question. She
0: is not. She will not be coming back. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to give Steve a shout at that one. Oh, uh, but yeah, Lieutenant Carey. <laughs> uh, Josh Clark returns as Lieutenant Carey in season seven. Steve. This is Jennifer Lean's only return after leaving the show. Her previous episode was the second episode of the fourth season. Name that episode where she left the show. Mm, Boy, I don't want to hear it for sure. You Um, definitely will. mm -hmm. And it ties into kind of what she is going through and what she's doing for Mm. others. Oh, gosh. And something that Adam mentioned, like, um, the gift—is
2: that an episode? I don't know. You got it. It's the gift. That's right, the all tough right. one. <laughs> all right, our uh, score. I, is... I might be thinking of has episode, but okay, good. You cool. got it. Our score is two to two. Moving on. <laughs> Lifeline, Season 6, Episode 24, Production Code 243, Original Air Date May 10th, 2000. Directed by Terry Wendell, Story by John Bruno and Robert Picardo, Teleplay by Robert Doherty, Ralph Green, and Brandon Braga, Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Dwight Schultz as Reginald Barkley, Marina Sirtis as De- Deanna Troy, Tamara Craig Thomas as Haley, and Jack Shearer as Admiral Hayes. <laughs> Voyager receives a trove of messages
1: from Starfleet Command via the Improved Subspace Radio Amplifier. The Doctor receives a personal message from Lieutenant Barclay and learns that Lewis Zimmerman, the creator of the Doctor's Emergency Medical Hologram Program, is dying, and no Starfleet medical personnel can determine the reason. The Doctor, because of his experiences in the Delta Quadrant, has found a way to treat Zimmerman's condition and has asked to have his program transferred to the Jupiter station via the subspace to cure Zimmerman.
2: Enough questions. Finish your scans and get out of here. Doctor, I said get out of here. I traveled halfway across the galaxy to treat you. The least you could do is show a little gratitude. Thank you. Get out of here. I may be the only physician who can save your life. You need me like hell. I brought your matrix into this world and I can take it out. I'm no longer a prototype. I have exceeded my original programming. I'm no longer under your control. Oh, really? Computer, transfer EMH to the living quarters.
0: Well, if you love Picardo as much as I love Picardo, then double Picardo <laughs> means it's double the fun. Uh, and I do enjoy this episode a lot. A lot. It's great. It's really fun. Adam, what do you think of this one?
1: Um, Yeah, I totally agree. It's... um, It's... There's a little bit, there's something in this episode, I think, for everybody. It's, um, it's funny, um, there's, um, there's some drama to it, and, um, and it kind of speaks to, um, you know, the mirror image of yourself, you know, like looking yourself in the mirror and, and seeing what you don't like, um... And there's also um, personal failure with um, Zimmerman who feels, you know, that he, that he failed in this program. It was like, a, you know, it's explained in the episode that the um, EMH one was the biggest failure of his career. And it, and you can kind of feel that because it's it's modeled so closely to himself personality wise, you can see, you know, that the, the doctor and him are, are very much alike in their personality. Obviously they look alike. So um you, I mean, yeah, you get, you get humor, you get a psychological analysis, um, you get nostalgia in this episode, obviously with Troy and Barkley being very much involved in this episode. So there's a lot here to take in that's um, enjoyable for to me for Star Trek fans all over the place. I mean, you, you get a lot. And you, like like you said, Brian, um, Picardo is great. He's one of our favorite um, characters of all time. So, um, yeah, you get double scoops in this episode so yes it's um it's an excellent episode um that i thoroughly enjoyed
2: steve yeah i really like this and i echo what adam said i you know i i, I mean, there's some logic stuff in terms of Janeway Way actually letting this happen you know the risk involved you know if you get kind of technical with it of sending him on to do this but you know it, it's paid off with what they do and and What's so interesting is kind of the character study here, because essentially, you know, it, it, that that character study is, is centered on not one of our main characters, yet he looks just like one of our main characters. And is, it was the inspiration and the creator of one of our main characters. And so, um, you know, there's there's a there it, they really they really go deep into that, you know, with the time they have. They um, ex- explore that idea of you know, what one feels in terms of how sensitive they are about the success of one creation, you have the parent child thing. I mean, that's, that's clearly what they're going for here and how that reflects on someone and the, in the kind of the sensitivity to it and why he initially, why, you know, the doc Zimmerman initially rejects the notion of, I just any Mark one hologram helping him out or whatever. And, and so on it. Um, and, and yeah, the, the, uh, Barkley and Troy and all that stuff coming back. I mean, yeah, it, there's just a whole lot. There's stuff for Trek fans, and it's a, and even, even without those elements, there's, there's something here to make it a satisfying, um, satisfying story um, in terms of the exploring one's psychology and motivations and what makes us tick and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I really like this. Well,
0: it's interesting to think like the last time we saw Barkley, Dwight Schultz play Barkley in a Voyager episode, you know, it was a, it really was a kind of a Barkley episode. He was going into the his holodeck and seeing our Voyager characters, but they were his holodecky versions of them. And I mean it was really a Barkley episode that significantly featured Troy with all the flashbacks you know he's telling the story and stuff. But here it feels like a Voyager episode. It feels like a Doctor episode that Barkley and Troy play a relatively minor role in. But it's so great that they they were happy to do the episode, even given that you know, yeah, yeah, because you could totally this episode would completely have worked without Barkley or Troy. But I would not have enjoyed it nearly as much, and I think it was um, a lot. Yeah, it was a lot more fun, but also more en- enriching of this this universe on the Alpha Quadrant side that we've created within the show of Voyager, you know, so yeah i mean it's it's an episode that just that entirely holds up some of the effects you know some of the eye line isn't perfect when he's playing against himself and stuff like that but i mean it's fine
1: this episode also kind of reminded me of the um, you know you can tell me steve you're the episode king um the episode of next gen where where data met soon i mean i kind of was was thinking about that you know when because they both look alike but mm-hmm. the differences in that episode um data is, is emotionalless. um he's a lot younger they're
0: but they you know, are both synthetic you know here yeah. you got a hologram and they' yeah, just for, an sure. for sure mm-hmm. but yeah
1: but two vastly I mean yeah they're both synthetic but they're and they' are and different. they're
0: meeting their creator who is dying
1: yeah um mm-hmm. this one had a happier ending obviously um and um but yeah it, it kind of brought me back to that but that episode and what they were trying to say in that one and you know how it, it it's it's very different from this episode but it made me think of that one just kind of when they've tried to do this before and um, I think both times they've been very successful.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. obviously you need somebody with some
2: acting chops like ricardo has or spider mm-hmm, has you know for sure <laughs> yeah because you you don't even think about it right i mean he do, he plays them both so yep. well that it's not like you're sitting there thinking it's the same guy i mean you, you, you know immediately know, guy, know you even if it. even if you were just listening and weren't i mean obviously oh,
0: yeah. they look visually yeah. different but even if you were just listening you would immediately know is that zimmerman or is that the doctor you would know you would know
1: i think they had the doctor a little bit taller too hmm
2: well, I think maybe that he's probably because he's slumping yeah, his yeah, like ailments an and whatnot. Stuff. But yeah, yeah. What's this episode about?
1: Well, you know, there's the the obvious tones. You know, you know, saving a parent, or you know, in the doctor's case, saving his creator. You know, there's a there's a family element there that um, we can all relate to, and that's kind of the argument that he he made to Janeway to convince her to let him go. So there, there there's that part about it. Um, but it's. And, but what I was saying earlier, it's also like, you know, looking yourself in the mirror and you guys are right. These, these characters are are vastly different, but they're also the same in a lot of ways. Um, And that's because, you know, Zimmerman, you know, he, he used a lot of his personality in this program. Obviously the doctor has evolved into his own functioning, you know, sentient life form. But I mean, you can kind of see that, that father son relationship, um, you know, knowing your where you come from and knowing your parents gives you a better sense of who you are and who you can be so i think that's kind of what they're trying to say here
2: yeah it's it's you know the parent child relationship is so complex and there's so many uh, so much to that and and, and in it, it's all kind of wrapped into one because while you know there's not a biological thing here in terms of passing on one's dna where you can literally say some characteristic is because it's very close to that because he's programmed to have the characteristics of of zimmerman you know and and it's it's his his work and in in that way it parallels the raising of a child and so that's definitely what they're going for i feel here is that whole complex parent-child relationship and the sensitivities a parent has to seeing how a child like ends up or grows up you know what what do they have what do they have to offer and you know it's your job to raise them and support them but you also see that reflection you know in this case it's literally looks just like him but you know in, in what we don't, literally don't have that kind of thing in in our in our world we we see it still it's like the genetic offspring they you know it's if if there's a failure is it my fault if there's a success how much is it Attributed to me, and what could I have done more, and and all that, and they and they and they wrap all that up really well um, with a whole lot of stuff going on, given the length of the episode. So yeah, I, I think they I think they did a really good job with
1: it. Yeah, you had um, I, there was something when you were speaking, Steve, made me think. You know, there's a redemption factor in this as well. You know, yeah, because yeah. Zimmerman Zimmerman feels like the ema you know, the doctor is his biggest failure in life, and you know, and. You know the you know maybe redemption is not the word, but the realization that no, this isn't the biggest failure of life. This might be your biggest success, Um, and you know coming to that realization that um, failures are failures are something that you know are are as rich and as powerful in people's lives as they are um, our successes.
0: But also that that failure is so much like 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 self defined. I love that little moment. It's kind of a throwaway moment, but I love that moment when. Zimmerman says something like I think it's but the bit the, the moment when he says how humiliating humiliating it is to think there's like 675 uh EMH's scrubbing plasma conduits or something and the doctor says I'm sure they're doing a wonderful job. Mm-hmm. There's you know there's like a different perspective here and uh I love that, that that kind of little moment too, you know. Uh one other interesting thing about this episode that I looked up and I'm not asking about in Six Degrees because it's not really appropriate for that. But Picardo has a story by credit on this episode because he came up with some of the ideas here. And it's only the second time that that there's been a Star Trek episode with um, uh, one of the main casts as uh, getting a writing kind of credit. The other time being uh, Walter Koenig on uh, the animated series. But, um, wow, yeah, that's yeah it's pretty crazy after all the Star Trek episodes there have been. So, yeah.
1: All right, I wanted to mention out there, since you know we're, this is Robert Picardo, um, if, if, if you have Instagram, follow him on Instagram. It's a fun account. So, <laughs> he does a lot of videos and stuff like that. So if you're a big Picardo fan, you're on Instagram, go follow him right now. You'll enjoy it.
0: All right, let's do Six Degrees for... Lifeline, I misspoke earlier when I said Adam has two. Adam actually has one. Adam no! is losing. He only has one point. <laughs> who brought that up, to, by the way?
1: Who, who was
0: honest? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to give you a point for that. Uh, so Steve has two. Adam has one. Let's see. Adam. You got to choose last time. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. In which Trek feature did many of this episode's stars all appear? Sirtis, Picardo, Ethan Phillips, Dwight Schultz, and Jack Shiver were all in which Trek movie? First Contact? Yes, sir. Adam? The Doctor disguises himself as a female Tarlacc so that he can secretly scan Zimmerman while massaging him. Which Trek feature? Featured? That species. I'm sure it's a reused costume.
1: Star Trek. I want to say five. I'll just go with five.
0: Nope. Steve? Is it uh, Insurrection? Yes, Insurrection. They're the ones that did the face-stretching stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, I won't rub it in with the score, but Steve did win today. Yes, he usually does. All right. Uh, so, first episode back after the holidays. We decided to take an extra week off. We took three weeks off, partially because we wanted to take an extra week
2: off. <clears throat>
0: but also because this way we're releasing our episode not the same week that Picard premieres <laughs>
2: yeah no one would care it'd be like yeah Picard. let's download trek companion <laughs>
0: yeah. nope uh so yeah we're gonna be uh we're gonna be not putting up an episode the week that Picard comes out which is next week which i am pretty excited about i've already had mm-hmm. people like email me and say can i come over to your house on that thursday night <laughs> yeah. nobody yes, wants to pay for cbs uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> Yep, I guess I'll be re-upping my CBS All Access subscription next week and then watching the shorts uh, right before the feature, or before the first episode. So Adam, just for confirmation, you will not be subscribing to CBS All Access, even for Picard, even for Patrick Stewart's return. That's not going to be enough for you.
1: Um, you know, if I do do it, I'll wait for the run to finish. Um, watching Discovery, it's a lot more enjoyable binge watching it because that's the way it was meant to be seen even though they they bust them out weekly so i have a feeling they're going to do the same thing with um picard um so um if i do subscribe it'll just be when when the run is done because um you got i mean you watch i mean you do the binge watch on the second viewing i'm assuming brian
0: yeah like when the blu-rays have come out that reminds me though i I, do we know
1: i just enjoy yeah i mean that's how i love to you know you just go straight through it it's a lot do
0: we know how many episodes are in picard season one i'm sure we do, right? Ten. It's ten, so mm-hmm. way less than Discovery either either season. Yeah,
2: no idea on the length of them or
0: anything like that. But ten, yeah. Did you did you guys watch all of uh, Mandalorian? Yes, I have not. Well, I don't think it's a spoiler to say the surprise with that thing, as far as like structurally, is that the episodes are frequently short.
1: Yeah, it's it felt a lot like um, Clone Wars to me. The way it's well, but that's like, the that, like Clone
0: War like. There's a traditional like network kind of link there for commercials. Those are like 21, 22, twenty one, twenty two up twenty twenty one or twenty two minutes. Right. And then if a show is double length, then it's like forty, forty one, forty two, whatever. Right. But Mandalorian, they were like thirty three, thirty four. You know, it was 40s, this I it guess. was this weird thing that I've never seen any other show do, where it was kind of in between, which you can do on a streaming thing, I guess. Which you know, Discovery, we saw some, like they weren't consistently mm-hmm. the same length, right? Right, right. But they were still pretty solidly closer to an hour than 30 minutes.
1: Well, w- watching The Mandalorian just makes me wish that Jon Favreau was in charge of the movies. Hmm. Mm, indeed.
0: Or Dave Filani. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, let's see. So other than all being excited for Picard next week, we hope you'll remember that Chuck Companion still exists and we're still talking about a show <laughs> called Voyager in two weeks when we come back to do the next Actually, no. I think in two weeks, we're just going to be doing just two episodes to finish out season six. We'll probably Mm, just do two episodes on our next podcast. Uh, That'll Mm. be in two weeks. So, you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion Thank you so much for spending an hour with us. Welcome back from the holidays. And until next time... Nope. Sorry. There's one last thing I wanted to say. I don't know if everybody's been following all these crazy fires in Australia. Um, There are any number of ways that you can uh, donate and help out down there. It's banana pants. You hear it's crazy and then you read about it and you're like, oh my God, it's really nuts. And even a little bit helps. So think about them. And if you can throw in a couple bucks and help them out. Okay. That was the other thing I want to say. Okay. So until next time, take it easy. Bye guys.
2: See ya.
1: I passed it.